Tonight we are going to be in Esther chapter 6. So if you have a Bible, you can open up to Esther 6. One of my favorite TV shows of all time was the TV show 24. Uh, At the time that 24 was at at its highest appeal, I was not a fan. I was the associate youth pastor here at Emmanuel at the time. And I remember that the pastors would come in every single uh, I believe it was Tuesday, and they would talk about 24. And, and that was like hearing Charlie Brown's teacher. Wah, 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 wah. I didn't want to hear about it. All I wanted to talk about was Monday Night Football. They were not fans of football, so they didn't listen to me. I didn't listen to them. It was, it was great times. But a few years later, um, I was skimming through Netflix, and there was 24, all nine seasons. And I thought to myself, "Eh, let's give it a shot. Uh, I was immediately um, attached. Um, And just to give you a little backstory on 24, every season is 24 episodes, which represent one hour that they count down in real time through every single episode. So as the series goes, every episode, the clock is ticking. And you know that when it starts to when it ends, it's one hour. And guess what? The next, the next one is one hour. I mean, every day, and then it goes through an entire day. The whole season is one day. So you have uh, 24 out of the nine seasons. So needless to say, I watched the entire nine seasons in about two and a half months. Um, that's called addiction. We'll cover that in another uh, time. But... <laughs> There's an old saying that says this, smile, whatever you are going through could be worse. And then it goes on to say, but I did smile and things did get worse. And that seems to happen in every single episode of 24. Starts off sunshiny and great, and then it keeps getting worse as every single episode goes on. And then by the time you get to the end of that season, you're thinking, what a day. Now, I will say this, it was very good to be able to watch that series without having breaks, right? I didn't have to wait to see what happened the next week. I didn't have to wait a week to see what happened in the next hour. I could just, needless to say, I lost a lot of sleep. So um, that's what we're going to see happen here throughout the first five chapters of Esther. Things just continually get worse and worse and worse for God's people. And Esther realizes that she has been placed in this place for such a time as this. She has won a favor of the king, and she comes up with this plan, a two-meal plan to cook a meal for the king and for Haman. And uh, she starts her plan, puts it in motion, and that's what we talked about last week. And so as Haman is going home, he encounters Mordecai. And again, Mordecai is not bowing to him. He's not even afraid of him. And so Haman will go home and from the advice of his wife and his friends, he will come up with a plan to have Mordecai executed the next day. And so even in a book where God is not mentioned at all, God refuses to be written out of the script. And between the lines, we're going to see God continue to work and we're going to see what God has in store which leads us to our big idea. 
We know that for those who love God, all things work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. Now that's Romans 8, 28. And at this point, we come to chapter 6. And chapter 6 is going to unfold God, what God has been doing all the way through the first five chapters. And God is going to set in motion his plan. So chapter 6, verse 1, let's get started. On that night, the king could not sleep. And he gave orders to bring the book of memorable deeds, the chronicles, and they were read before the king. Here's your first blank. It just so happens that the king can't sleep. I've had some of these nights where I just can't sleep. Uh, some of them were during my days of binge watching 24. Um, but I want you to notice what kept the king awake. Nothing. Absolutely nothing. You know, in the book of Daniel, you'll see where Nebuchadnezzar was kept awake because of a dream. We'll see where Darius was kept awake for the concern of Daniel in the lion's den. It doesn't give any reason why this king couldn't sleep. Uh, there was one commentator that I th found very interesting. He said, perhaps it was the construction of the gallows that kept him awake. Maybe it's Haman constructing the gallows that is going to keep him awake. And we'll talk about that here in a little bit. But number two, it just so happens the king hears a story about Mordecai. Let's continue. And it was found written how Mordecai had told about Bigthana and Teresh, two of the king's eunuchs who guarded the threshold and who had sought to lay hands on King Ahasuerus. And the king said, what honor or distinction has been bestowed on Mordecai for this? The king's young men who attended him said, well, nothing's been done for him. The king realizes that I can't sleep. What I really need is a bedtime story. And so he is going to have some of the people who are attending him read him a story about his favorite character himself. And so they bring the book of stories of the great King Ahasuerus and they begin to read to him. And, uh, you know, on a side note, there are two people that were probably more than likely sleeping that night. And it's Esther and it's Mordecai. Uh, don't miss that these two people have zero clue about the plans that Haman has for Mordecai in the morning. They don't have an, an idea of what's happening they don't have an idea of that plan. I'm sure if the queen knew, she would be knocking on the king's door. But they have no clue. They're probably sleeping. And in the middle of hearing these stories about himself, the king is jolted wide awake. The story about how Mordecai had saved the king's life. And the king asked him, okay, what honor have we given this guy for saving my life? I mean, think about that. If, if I don't do anything for this guy... Who would ever want to save my life again? I, I need to do something for this guy. So he jumps up, he looks around, and there's no one around. And so all throughout the book of Esther, the king has continually sought the advice of his advisors on all matters. What should I do with the queen? What should I do about this? What should I do about that? There's no one around. Let's continue to read. Because it just so happens that Haman shows up to work early. Verse 4. And the king said, who is in the court? Now Haman had just entered the outer court in the king's palace to speak to the king 
about having Mordecai hanged on the gallows that he had prepared for him. And the king's young men told him, well, Haman is there standing in the court. And the king said, well, let him come in. Wow, it just so happens that my number two guy, my number one guy for the king is there. And so it just so happens that when the king is looking for someone to honor Mordecai, in walks the very man that is showing up early to ask permission to kill him. It just so happens. Talk about timing. Again, wouldn't it be ironic if what kept the king awake was the construction of the gallows? Haman's eagerness can be used for a great example to us in our own lives. I want you to think about what things in our lives that we pursue. What type of things do we pursue with anticipation? Do we pursue God in this way? Do we pursue, are we guilty like Haman of pursuing bad on those people that we like the least? Do we eagerly pursue sin? I want you to think about the things that you wake up early for, that you stay up late for. Those are the types of things that you possibly pursue. And when it comes to your relationship with God, hopefully we are pursuing him in that manner. Unfortunately for Haman, his eagerness about his deeds is about to come face to face with the providence of God. And Haman is determined to have Mordecai executed, but he is going to be distracted by something. The very thing that he wants more than to see Mordecai killed is honor. So that leads us to our next one. It just so happens that Haman is distracted by honor. Or should I say that he's distracted by the desire to be honored by everyone? Verse 6. So Haman came in and the king said to him, What should be done to the man whom the king delights to honor? And, the, and Haman said to himself, Well, whom would the king delight to honor more than me? Haman said to the king, For the man whom the king delights to honor, let royal robes be brought, which the king has worn. And the horse that the king has ridden on whose head the royal crown is set. Let the robes and the horses be handed over to the one of the king's most noble officials. Let them dress the man whom the king delights to honor. And let them lead on a horse through the square of the city proclaiming before him. Thus shall it be done to the man whom the king delights to honor. Haman is saying to himself, I want to wear the crown. I want to wear the robe. I want to wear the horse. In essence, he's saying, I want to be king. That's, what, that's the way I take it. And a few things I don't want us to miss from this chapter. I really do hope that we are in a relationship with Christ and are never like Haman in our thinking. When we look at Christ, when we think about our encounter with Christ, I hope we don't think to ourselves, of course he wants to honor me. Of course he thinks I'm important. Of course he thinks I'm special. He needs me. I am great. We're going to see that that's a very dangerous place to be, a position of pride. Jason Meyer says it like this. As finite creatures, we cannot fully grasp God's infinite revulsion against pride's rebellion. God hates pride. 
What makes pride so singularly repulsive to God is the way that pride contends for supremacy with God himself. Pride sets itself in opposition to God. The only fitting response is for God to oppose the proud. That is probably why pride is not simply another sin among many, but a sin in a category of its own. Other sins lead the sinner further away from God, but pride in particular uh, is particularly heinous in that it attempts to elevate the sinner above God. So a few things to keep our pride in check. Number one, we need to understand that God is God and we are not. In the beginning, God. He always has been. He always will be. We are born. We serve for a time. And guess what? We die. Psalm 92 says, from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. I like another um, version of that. It says, from eternity to eternity, you are God. So God is God, we are not. Number two, God doesn't owe us anything. We cannot earn honor from the Lord and assume that he owes us anything whatsoever. Luke 17.10 says, Jesus tells us, When you have done all that you were commanded, you should say, We are worthless servants. We've only done our duty. What a great verse. Straight from Jesus. When you've done everything that you were commanded, you should say, we are worthless servants. We've only done our duty. Lastly, we should stand in awe of the Lord. I hope that we never get to a place where we stop asking God uh, why he is so good to us when we have been so bad. You know, we have all committed cosmic treason against a holy God, and we should constantly hit our knees in thanks Uh, for him offering his son in our place. Haman was so full of himself that he was so ready to hear how he could be honored by all. How wonderful would this be? Mordecai is going to have to bend the knee to me before I have him executed. This is the best day ever. Haman's response to the king makes me think that this is absolutely not the first time that Haman had thought about this very day how he could be honored above all other people. You know, the cold weather probably has many of our children already making their Christmas list, right? And when a child goes to see Santa, uh, they have probably already given a lot of thought to what they want to ask Santa for, right? And so much like Ralphie in the Christmas story, I mean, everyone knows that Ralphie wants an official Red Rider carbon action, 200-shot range I see I always mess it up. Range model, air rifle with a compass in the stock and this thing which tells time, a.k.a. a clock, but whatever. How many of you have seen the Christmas story? How many of you are lying and you say you haven't watched it? Okay, a couple. So, can you imagine, just for a second, what it would have looked like on Christmas morning if the little brother would have received the BB gun instead of Ralphie? I mean, he would have thought that was the worst day ever. They already delayed giving him the gift so that he would anticipate it even more. But what if the brother would have received it instead of him? It would have been the worst. That's exactly what's about to happen. Uh, It just so happens that Haman must honor Mordecai. Let's continue reading in verse 10. Then the king said to Haman, Hurry, take the robes and the horse, 
as you have said, and do so to Mordecai the Jew who sits at the king's gate. Leave out nothing that you have mentioned. So Haman took the robes and the horse, and he dressed Mordecai and led him through the square of the city, proclaiming before him, Thus shall it be done to the man whom the king delights to honor. Try to imagine this scene. The very man who sought honor above anything else, who wanted to be honored by all, is now leading the very man that he wanted to have executed through the streets, proclaiming his honor. The last thing on his agenda when he went to see the king that morning was to parade Mordecai around and give him honor. What irony. The man that was clothed in sackcloth is now clothed in the royal attire. The man that was crying out to God has now his enemy crying out to bring him honor and praise. This must have seemed surreal to both of them. Let's keep reading. Verse 12. Then Mordecai returned to the king's gate. But Haman hurried to his house, mourning with his head covered. And Haman told his wife Zeresh and all the friends everything that had happened to him. Then his wise man and his wife Zeresh said to him, If Mordecai, before whom you have begun to fall, is of Jewish people, you will not overcome him, but you will surely fall before him. Mordecai, after the parade, goes back to work. He goes back to work, manning the gate just as he was doing before. Haman's response is a little bit different. Remember, it hasn't been that long since Haman showed up to work that morning to ask for Mordecai's execution. The very man who is responsible for the Jews crying out to God is now himself in a position of crying out to those he cared most about for. So when we seek to be honored rather than giving honor or rather than giving honor to God, we should not be surprised when God gives us humility rather than honor. Honestly, um, I think it should be a wake-up call for us as Christians. It should drive us to our knees in repentance and thankfulness, and because of the hope that we have. But that's not how it happens most of the time. And most of the time, uh, here's what we see, what Scripture has to say about it. James 4, 6 says, God opposes the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. James 4, 10, humble yourselves before the Lord, and he will exalt you. Uh, Romans 12, 10, now, I put a couple of verses in Psalm, you can read those on your own time. Romans 12.10 says, Love one another with brotherly affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. Paul does not say here in Romans to outdo one another in seeking honor. He's talking about in showing honor. And so seeking personal honor for himself, Haman is going to find complete and total humiliation. And it's not just immediate Humiliation. The very people who had advocated him and given him the great advice to have Mordecai destroyed are going to be the very first ones to turn on him and say, Man, you're in trouble, buddy. In a matter of hours, those that advocated for Mordecai's destruction are now acknowledging Haman's impending doom. 
And so maybe they aren't so foolish after all, which leads us to our last point. It just so happens that Haman is invited to dinner again. Verse 14. While they were yet talking with him, the king's eunuch arrived and hurried to bring Haman to the feast that Esther had prepared. You know, chapter 6 and chapter 7, they cover a 24-hour period of time. Do you think that he wanted to go to dinner after that? I can imagine that he probably hoped that they would forget about dinner. He probably hoped that they would, maybe if I just stay home, I stay hidden, they'll forget it. But this was all a part of Esther's plan. While Haman had been shouting Mordecai's praises in the street, Esther was cooking a meal. She was preparing a feast. And there is zero doubt that Haman's head was probably spinning. He was an emotional wreck. Uh, From excitement to finally be rid of Mordecai, to seeking honor and praise for himself, to having to honor the very man that he hates the most, to wanting to just to go home and rest and gather your thoughts, to now it's dinner time. I can imagine that he's thinking, I don't want to go. Which... As a spoiler alert for next week, it's going to end with Haman being on the very gallows that he prepares for his enemy. It's a bad day for Haman. And I can just hear the 24 clock. Ting, ting, ting. So, in the good says it like this. Our fall could be just as sudden and inescapable as Haman's taking us from our present comforts to face a holy God in an instant. Are we ready for such an encounter? You know, life comes at us very quickly. I would tell you that eternity comes at us even faster. The problem with so many in our world today is that death is not something that we prepare or are preparing for. What Haman, and I believe a lot of people on our planet, are concerned most about is indeed, in reality, not important at all. The world does not revolve around us. As much as we want to tell ourselves that, I can tell you who it does revolve around, and it's Jesus. And what can we take away from this chapter? Uh, Here's our point. We see the invisible hand of God changing the course of history. You know, it sounds like an oxymoron to say we see the invisible hand of God. If you think about it, you look outside the windows, um, you don't feel the wind, you don't even see the wind. You see the effects of the wind, you see the trees blowing and the dust blowing, but you do not see the wind. And that's exactly how we see God in the book of Esther. We see the outcomes of what he's doing all throughout the book, but we don't hear his name, we don't see him physically at work. And so... I put this in here. It just so happens equals God ordained it. All of these things that just so happen, God is ordaining it every single step of the way. He is ordaining these events that are taking place with Haman and his unbelieving family and friends. They will look at him in this moment and they will say, look, if Mordecai is who he says he is, and if his God is who he says he is, and his God has granted him favor, then you are in trouble, buddy. And so it's not going to end well for you. His family is saying this to him. I love it that it's not Esther's decision to take a stand that will turn the course of this book around. Yes, she was here for such a time as this. 
But we need to understand that it is not Esther's decision to go into the king that turns it around. As a matter of fact, Esther going to the king, make things get worse. I mean, Mordecai went from uh, a long-time death sentence to an immediate death sentence. Things will continue to get worse after her stand. Starting in chapter 6, though, until the end, we're going to see how God and his enemies... God is at work and his enemies are on the run. Not because of the boldness to stand, but because simply because of one sleepless night from the king. Esther is completely absent from the story in chapter 6. Mordecai doesn't say a word. Just as he just has a parade and he goes back to work. God is turning all of these events around. God is working in such a way that he's going to bring about the salvation of his people. Yet... God's sovereignty, God working, does not make our actions as humans meaningless. Esther will still get her moment to stand up for, for God and for her people. But Esther's faithfulness is important. We need to understand that. God's purposes work through his servants. But they definitely, God's purposes do not depend on their willing obedience. However, their obedience itself is a part of God's wonderful work. Haman's fate was sealed. Not only because he was one of the Amalekites and under God's judgment. Um, this man had wealth. This man had fame. He had position. He had children. And he misses it. And in a span of 24 hours or less, he will be completely disgraced and he will be dead. Is it possible that we too are under God's curse? The scriptures are very clear that whoever breaks God's law are under a curse. That's Galatians 3.10. This is very bad news for us who are relying on our own goodness or our own good works. If we try to do that, we are in serious trouble. As much trouble as Haman was. Even if we think that we are above average Or better than most. But unlike Haman. Who isn't going to have much time to right any wrongs that he committed. um, We still have time to repent. And uh, see the error of our ways. Mordecai's honor before his enemies was more than just a reward of a Persian king. um, For a job well done. We also see in Mordecai's parade. A foreshadowing of the savior that was to come. The promise of Abraham of land and a blessing was not just a general promise, but this was to take care of his descendants to fulfill his prophecy and bring ultimate peace to his people. We see a great reversal. Mordecai's honor before his enemies. It's a huge reversal in this chapter. A great reversal is also possible in our own lives. It just so happens that Jesus came to this earth. When he came, it was not with public recognition or praise like Mordecai will find, but the reverse. We see Mordecai dressed in royal robes. We see Jesus making his way to the cross with nothing on, completely exposed to public shame. We see Mordecai riding on a horse. Jesus had to walk bearing the weight of a cross. We see Mordecai wearing a crown. The only crown that Christ wore was one that his enemies had prepared for him. A crown of thorns that they made to mock him. 
And as the city sang praises to Mordecai, because he was the man that the king delighted to honor, Jesus was mocked as they cried out, Hail Jesus, King of the Jews. I wrote this down because this is really good. Landon Dowden says this, All hope had seemed lost. Satan, no doubt, was convinced that though he had failed to wipe out the messianic line, he had done something greater and taken out the Messiah. Little did he know or understand that all of his schemes were simply accomplishing God's providential plan to save his people for his own name's sake. There is no greater reversal. You know, it's true. I'm sure Satan thought he had won. He thought that his plan was succeeded in taking out the Messiah. But what a great reversal. One last reversal that I wanted to remind us of before we're done tonight is regardless whether you want to or not, every knee will bow, every tongue will confess that Jesus is Lord. You can bow now or you can bow later. It's not your, the choice is completely up to you. But make no mistake, God will accomplish his purposes. God will save his people. And what is left for us to do now is to bow our hearts, bow our knees before him and sing his praises. I wrote down Psalm 96 for you at the bottom. Uh, I just want to ask that you read that tonight. That should be the attitude of our hearts as um, we walk through this world, as we seek to honor God with all that we have. And you know what? I'm just going to read it, and we'll just take up that extra time. So let me just read it. Psalm 96 says this. Oh, sing to the Lord a new song. Sing to the Lord all the earth. Sing to the Lord, bless his name. Tell of his salvation from day to day. Declare his glory among the nations, his marvelous works among all the peoples. For great is the Lord and greatly to be praised. He is to be feared above all gods. For all the gods of the people are worthless idols, but the Lord made the heavens. Splendor and majesty are before him. Strength and beauty are in his sanctuary. Ascribe to the Lord, O families of the peoples. Ascribe to the Lord glory and strength. Ascribe to the Lord the glory due his name. Bring an offering and come into his courts. Worship the Lord in his splendor of holiness. Tremble before him all the earth. Say among the nation the Lord reigns. Yes, the world is established. It shall never be moved. He will judge the peoples with equity. Let the heavens be glad. Let the earth rejoice. Let the sea roar roar in all that fills it. Let the field exalt and everything in it. Then shall all the trees of the forest sing for joy before the Lord, for he comes. For he comes to judge the earth. He will judge the world in righteousness and the people in his faithfulness. Let's pray.